As we've been studying in the book of Ecclesiastes, I pointed out early on the word used over and over, uh, translated sometimes vanity, sometimes vapor. I compared it to when you go out on a winter morning and you breathe and you see your breath in the air. And I remember saying something like, in Texas, winter is, both weeks are really good. Uh, well, winter is over and I had to lose the coat. It's hot. Uh, this morning, we will be back in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And we have just sung a song that I know was not picked to go with this. Well, I say that. We picked the song months ago when Brother Jeff introduced it on Wednesday night in our time with the hymns. Uh, and um, But we notice that verse that says, Soon my earthly tabernacle, my earthly tent will fall. This body is going to the grave. And that has been an ongoing theme for uh, Koheleth, for Solomon, the preacher, as he has written to us. This morning we come to chapter 7. Let's read. We're going to read the first 14 verses. A good name is better than a good ointment. And the day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning, that's to mourn with sadness, not mourning like when the sun comes up. Verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool, and this too is vanity, futility. Verse 7, for oppression makes a wise man mad and a bride corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than the beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom, along with an inheritance, is good and an advantage to those who seek the sun. For wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of its possessors. Verse 13, consider the work of God. For who is able to straighten what he has been? In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. So that man will not discover anything that will be after him. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Help us this morning to read, hear, and understand your word. 
Help us to love wisdom, to despise folly, and help us to rest in your sovereign power, in your sovereign will. Convict us where we think, where we speak, where we live too much like the world, too much focused on things that are but vanity and vapor and futility. Help us to live and grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. As we've studied the first six chapters of Ecclesiastes, we have seen a pattern emerge for us. The, the preacher has set forth this pattern without abandoning wisdom. He told us that early on. Without abandoning wisdom, he has considered the world life under the sun and he has made observations and then from those observations he has drawn conclusions and made applications to us uh, like we have been collecting nuggets of wisdom along the way now we come to chapter 7 and you may have noticed as we read the pattern has changed this doesn't read like the other six chapters that we've been through it reads differently rather than observation and application and picking up a wisdom nugget, we find here a series in, in these 14 verses of rapid fire proverbial statements, little proverbs. And, and it's as though we have come in our, in our journey to a rich vein where rather than picking up a nugget of wisdom occasionally, here we have nuggets of wisdom all strung together. So, we are set now to hear these proverbs from our teacher. When we step into this text after we've read it very quickly, maybe you already noticed there are some things that are difficult to read, difficult to believe, difficult to accept. These are some hard statements. If it were anyone else making these statements, we might be tempted to ignore them. We might just write this off as nonsense. This is just error. But we remember that the preacher who writes is Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. And Solomon, the preacher, for six chapters, can we say he's been honest with us? He, he's been honest with us. Even at times we've said he's brutally honest. And we've pointed out that he, he, seems, to, he seems to favor saying things in such a way that is not comfortable to the ear, saying things in such a way that catches us off guard, and it evokes a response. I got to tell you, I like that about him because I think I'm that way. I like to say things and come at it from a direction that people aren't expecting to make, to make us think about. And that's what Solomon has done. But as he's done this, there has not even been a hint of falseness. He has been honest with us. And in this chapter, the preacher will say some things that challenge us. They will challenge the things that we hold to be true. 
And he will call those things, those things that you now believe, he will call them foolishness and false. And some of these things aren't even things that we have learned. They're not things that we have learned, but they are things that are so innate, so natural, so instinctive to us. I'm just telling you, it's going to smart a bit as he challenges us. But if we stick with the preacher and if we are open to learning from his wise words, because these are wise words of Solomon, but let us not forget that this is the word of the living God. If we are open to learn from the word of God here, we will be greatly benefited. And those nuggets of wisdom that we have been collecting, our collection will grow larger. So we'll take the first four verses. These first four verses, I believe, have a common theme. Now, there's a theme through the 14 verses that we see throughout. Uh, but here in these first four verses, there is a clear focus. And that focus is on death. That focus is on death. Here we see the day of death. The house of mourning. Uh, and we see that it is the end of every man. He begins with this little proverbial statement. A good name is better than a good ointment. A good name is better than a good ointment. The, the theme of death should be seen right here at the very outset. This ointment, I mean... This is not like the ointment you get out of your medicine cabinet. This is not an ointment that we would use today. This ointment that is mentioned here would have been an ointment used to cover smells. You might think, if you want to think of what that is in our modern day, you might think of deodorant. Or probably more accurate would be like perfume. Perfume. Uh, think of, think of the, the biblical story of that odorous bottle of ointment that was used to wash Jesus' feet. It was very expensive and it put off a very pleasant fragrance that filled the house. In the day of Solomon, an ointment like this would have been used to cover smell. It would be used for living people to cover B.O. First time I've ever used the B.O. in a sermon. Write it down. It, it would have been used to cover unpleasant smell. But more often than used for the living to cover body odor, it would be used to anoint the dead to cover the smell during the time that a body would be laid out for mourners to come and view. Now we don't deal with that in our day because of embalming, that sort of thing, but, but uh, I knew of someone who died and they were not embalmed and there was a big rush to have the funeral. And we know why there's a rush. We remember when Jesus delayed to go see uh, Lazarus who was sick, when he delayed, Lazarus had died. And when he said, roll the stone away, remember what the crowd said to Jesus? Lord, he's been dead four days. He stinketh. 
there's a smell. And if you'll remember, his body had been uh, wrapped and, and covered with, with ointment and with flowers, with fragrant things to cover the smell. So this ointment that is referred to, this is not like our modern marbles. Antiperspirant is a, is a marvelous thing. Antiperspirant blocks sweat. And, and by blocking sweat, it prevents odors from coming out of the body. This was different. This did not prevent odor from being produced. This ointment was like, I think some of you probably have in your car on the rearview mirror, a little tree hanging. And, and here's what that little tree does in your car. I know it does not fix the odor problem. But it, it comes with a competing odor to cover up that which is intolerable with something more tolerable and maybe even pleasant. I'm looking, some of you are like, my car does not have a bad smell. Some of you, you're right. Some of you, you have McDonald's french fries under your seats that will always smell. So this ointment that is spoken of was used to cover the stench of a dead person. And the preacher tells us here that it's better to have a good name. A good name is better than a good ointment. A good name, that is a good reputation, uh, a good character is better than the ointment. A good name is the result of good living, of fair dealing, of honest business and uprightness. A good name is the result of inner character that comes out. The inner man is seen and you have a good name. So a good name comes from deep within a person. And it's better than a good ointment, which is just topical and is just external and covering over stench. Now we need to understand what the preacher's not saying here. Uh, can we all just for a moment appreciate the ointment? There is value in the ointment. He's not saying there's no value in the ointment, only in, no, there's a comparison here. The ointment's good, but a good name is better. A good name is better. So, so there is value, but by comparison, the preacher for us extols the greater value of a good name. And this comparison, this is better than that. It sets the rhythm for the coming verses. Things which have some value, but that value may be fleeting, that value may be momentary, that value may be small. And then there are things in comparison that are more desirable, that are of greater value. And we have learned from Solomon that the name, a good name, is better than a good ointment. And we may need Solomon to correct our thinking in other ways. This first one's easy, isn't it? I mean, he's not just throwing us into the deep end of the pool. He's, he's easing us in. Well, here's the deal. Buckle up. Because he eases us in in this first part. A good name is better than a good ointment. And then right to the deep end. Here we go. The day of death is better than the day of birth. Verse 2, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Wow. The day of death is better 
than the day of birth. Now, I want to uh, correct. I often preach from the New American Standard version of Scripture. And uh, here, I think the New American Standard has not helped us because the New American Standard puts a word here, adds a word uh, in an effort to help, but it doesn't. Uh, the New American Standard reads, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. You can say it this way, the day of your death is better than the day of your birth. But that word, that one's death or your birth, that's not, that word's not there. The other translations say better, the day of death. This is a general statement. In general, the day of death is better than the day of birth. We might be helped uh, with verse two. It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. So we can say it in this way. We can paraphrase passings are better than births and funerals are better than birthday parties. Now we, we have to ask the question, if, if one thing is better than the other, for whom is it better? For whom is it better? And, and I don't think what's being said here is the day of your death is, is better than the day of your birth. Rather, for those who are living, for those who are alive at the time of a birth, and for those who are alive at the time of a death, for those who will be attenders to the funeral or attenders to the birthday party, for those people, the funeral is better. For you, the living, the day of death is better. And Solomon gives us the answer right here. The day of death is better. The funeral is better. Well, Solomon, why is it better? He says, because that is the end of every man. Because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. So you see, it's better for the living because the living take it to heart and it is the end. It is where we are all going. The grave, the day of death is in our future for every one of us. When you get news that someone you know has died, when you attend a funeral, and let me just pause here to say, I think from this text, we should attend funerals. I think we should attend funerals. Those times when you are faced with the death of someone you know or someone that you love, when you attend a funeral, those are times when you are faced with your own mortality. At a birthday party, you're not. Not unless it goes terribly wrong. <laughs> a birthday party is just mindless frivolity. Trivial playtime that that has no effect after the party is over. The party's over, the fun has stopped, and there's nothing else but the funeral, the day of death. That's when you are reminded that you are moving toward your day of death. Day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, you are steadily moving toward your final breath, your final heartbeat. So we have this contrast, this comparison here, the day of death and the day of birth, the funeral and the birthday party. 
But there's more here. There's, there's another comparison and contrast that is spoken of. It's sort of hidden, but we need to be aware of it because it's throughout the rest of the text. This is the contrast of the wise and the fool. Of wisdom and foolishness of the wise man and the foolish man. We see it named explicitly in verse 7. Oppression makes a wise man mad. In verse 9, anger resides in the bosom of the fool. In verse 11, which tells us that wisdom is good just like an inheritance is good. We haven't explicitly spoken of wisdom and foolishness in these other places. But right here in verses 1 and 2, the wise man is going to hear the preacher say, the day of death is better than the day of birth. And he is going to agree. He's going to hear Solomon say, the funeral is better than the birthday party. And he's going to say, amen. That's right. But the fool will argue. The fool will say, I like the birthday party better. Folks, we live in a day when we are surrounded by fools. We live in a day where we want to avoid at all costs death. The thought of death, the sting of death, and where all we want is one birthday party after another. Now, I, I don't want to be a fool. But there's something in me, and I think there's something in all of us that wants to push back a little and say, but wait, I don't like funerals. And the day of death is awful. It's an awful day. Some of us can think to times that we have lost a loved one and we can say, that was an awful day. I don't think Solomon is saying here, the day of death is better and the funeral is better because there's no pain in the death of a loved one. He's not telling us that the funeral is a happy, fun time. No matter how much we try to make a funeral a happy, fun time by calling it a celebration. A funeral is not a happy, fun time and the day of death is filled with pain. I think Solomon is pointing out to us the deep and lasting benefit which comes to the wise person who ponders death, who considers his own life and the unavoidable day of death looming somewhere in the future, whereas the birthday party has no deep and lasting value. I, I would compare this, the day of death is better than the day of birth, the funeral better than the birthday party. I'd compare this to medicine when you're sick. When I was a child, my mother, I don't normally talk bad about my mother, but just today we'll make an exception. My mother, when I was sick, she took me to the doctor. I still remember that man's name. Dr. Bodron, I can see his face. She took me to the doctor and I was sick and, and they would do blood work every time I went. That's why my mother took me there. And I would go as a sick child and my mother, mean and horrible as she was, would ask them to give me a shot. Can you believe that? I never wanted a shot. It was excruciating. It was terrifying. 
I never wanted that. My mother would ask for that. And then if I was sick at home and I didn't need to go to the doctor, she would come into my room with a little cup and she would pour the nastiest tasting stuff that you've ever had in your, it would be horrible. And she would say, drink this, go all of it. Drink all of it. She did that. I never wanted the shot and I never wanted the nasty tasting medicine, but I will tell you, I learned that because of those moments of pain with the shot, and because of the terrible taste of those medicines, I could heal, I could be stronger, I could be healthier, I could be better. And eventually, I grew to the point that now as a grown man, when I'm sick and I go to the doctor, do you know what I say? Can I get a shot? I know the pain. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna feel that for a while. But I know that it is good for me. And I buy that nasty taste in medicine. In the same way, Solomon says here, the day of death stings like you would think like a shot in the hip. It stings. And, and the funeral is uncomfortable and, and, it, and it leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. But because of those moments of pain on the day of death, because of that nasty tasting funeral, you are able to be stronger and healthier and better for it. And if you're wise, you will recognize the day of death and the funeral is better than the day of birth and the birthday party. It seems that in our day, everyone tries to avoid death completely. We do everything we can to cover up the signs of old age. I'm growing my beard back out. Do y'all know what I see in the mirror? White, a lot of it. But we, and I'm not gonna color it. I'm not gonna cover it up. But we seem to do everything that we can. We no longer have funerals. Funerals morph into memorials. Memorials then changed into celebrations of life. All the time we're ignoring the wisdom of Solomon here because we have pushed the house of mourning. We have pushed the day of death as much as we can out of our lives. Brothers and sisters, let us return to the wisdom of scripture. Let us return to the wise words of Solomon. The day of death is better than the day of birth. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to a house of feasting. Verse three, we need to hurry. This sorrow is better than laughter for when a face is sad, it may be happy. A serious expression on a face does not indicate an unhappy person. I think we all know that sometimes, maybe most of the time, the person who is laughing and joking at, at, at the most is the one who harbors the most and the deepest hurt. Solomon tells us here that the serious person is better than the joking life of the party. C.S. Lewis said, there's a kind of happiness and wonder that makes you serious. And it's too good to waste on jokes. There's a kind of happiness that makes you serious. I, I don't think this means that a serious person never laughs or never jokes. I have said this about my friends, my brothers, fellow pastors in our association with whom I have stood shoulder to shoulder in battle. 
I can have a better laugh with those men because there's so much more there than just the laugh, than just the joke. When the laughter is done, there is substance which has been forged in the fire. And so sorrow is better than laughter. Laughter here, by the way, is the empty laughter of a fool. Verse four, the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. The wise man doesn't soon forget the funeral. He's still thinking about it. He ponders death long after that initial sting of death has subsided. The fool is thinking about the party that just ended or the next party and when it's going to come. And Solomon says that kind of thing, that's foolish thinking. Now, now we branch out from these first four verses, which kind of seem to focus around death and the day of death and the house of mourning and the funeral motif. But we stay with the comparison of better things compared to not as good things. That's poorly said. We also stay, as we move forward, with the wise, foolish contrast and comparison. Verse 5, it's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. Now, I do enjoy a good song. As I look out here, my brother who spent countless hours in the car with me listening to some silly songs. He knows that I love a good silly song. <laughs> but there's no lasting value when that silly song is over. And by the way, they're all silly. When that song is over, when that moment is passed, there's nothing of value left. On the contrary, I do not like to listen to people criticize me. I don't like it. I'm just, just saying. I know you all, I can tell by the look on your face, you're like, we love it. We love criticism. We love rebuke. Bring it on. I, I would rather turn the radio on than to turn it down and listen to somebody criticize me. Further, I know that, that most of us here Avoid conflict at all costs. And by avoiding conflict, part of that is avoiding any type of criticism. There's dissatisfaction, there's criticism, there's something. I, I want to I stay away from that. I want to avoid it. So I know you're not super keen on hearing rebuke. So for a moment, though, let's set aside our knee-jerk reaction to rebuke and let's consider that Solomon says it's good for you. Not just rebuke. Here he has in mind a specific type of rebuke. There's the rebuke of the fool. Ignore that. But here he is, he is speaking of the rebuke of a wise man. Now, what does that mean for me? That means, folks, I need in my life and you need in your life to identify at least one wise person. Maybe more than one, although I don't think they're as plenteous as we might hope. But identify at least one wise person and I need to spend time. I need to build a relationship with at least one wise person. 
and I need to open myself up to them so that they can give me rebuke because Solomon says it is good for me. Now, it seems that the younger you are, maybe the sooner you are to reject rebuke. I, I know for you who are still living at home with your parents, it may seem like your parents do nothing but rebuke. There's nothing but criticism. And I know that you could come to a place where you despise their correction. But you should remember that God has placed you in that home, not by any accident, and that you would do well to listen to the wisdom of your parents. And that does not prevent you from finding other wise people in your life, whether that be family, men and women from church, other wise people, and listen to them. How wise it is when someone comes to a wise person and asks for input, asks for correction, asks for rebuke. We come to verse six, we find a proverbial statement which has application in each of these circumstances for the crackling of the thorn bush under, the, as the crackling of the thorn bush under the pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This too is futility. The thorn bush spoken of here was burned uh, in a fire for fuel to heat the pot. And this thorn bush is not good for fuel. You know, there's some wood that's good to burn for fuel and there's some that is not. Some wood will snap, crackle, and pop in the fire. It makes a lot of noise. Sometimes it even, it even looks interesting, but it's not good to produce the heat necessary for cooking. So for that reason, for that purpose, this wood is worthless. It makes a bunch of noise, but when the popping is done, no work has been produced. No heat has been generated. So it is the laughter of the fool. Not all laughter is bad, but this is the vacuous laughter of the fool. It makes a bunch of noise, but when the noise is done, there's nothing of value. Nothing's, nothing's been produced. It's only futility, havel, vanity. Verse seven, I'm trying to hurry. For the oppression makes a wise man mad and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your hearts. Verse nine, do not be eager in your hearts to be angry for anger resides in the bosom of the fool. Someone pointed out that there is a real frequent mention in the Bible's wisdom literature of anger. We, we should study that, especially if we are prone to anger. Uh, we find here that harboring anger, being eager to be angry, is not the behavior of a wise person. It is foolishness. And it agrees with the book of James, where James wrote to us that we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, or slow to anger. Verse 10, do not say, this <laughs> I alluded to this in Sunday school. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? You know what that is? Longing for the good old days. Can we just take a moment? Boy, I gotta tell you, I don't know that this verse speaks to anybody more than it speaks to me. 
I am one who longs for the good old days. And I'm not going to like what Solomon's got to say to me here in a minute. We, we tend to think that things used to be better than they are now. How many times have we wished for days long gone? How many times have we wished things like, I wish I were born in a different time. I, I wish I had been born in the, and then we name a time that we think it would have been great to be born. I, I know my wife and I have had, we, we have some good memories of our 32 years of marriage. And at times we have thought, wouldn't it be great to go back? Wouldn't it be great to go back? And you can ask her, we, we go back to that town, we drive down those same streets, we visit those old haunts, and then we say something like this. Well, you can't go back. You can't go back. We, we long for those days that are gone. We often think that the days of old, old tiny days, were simpler, they were purer. Everybody went to church. Everybody. And, and what we know by that, that means marriages never broke up. Nobody was ever unfaithful in their marriage. Nobody ever stole things. Nobody ever lied. Nobody ever cheated. You believe that? When we think like that, sometimes we go back. How far do we go back? We go back to the 60s or the 50s or the 40s or the... Sometimes we might go back to the 1800s or the 1700s. Let's go back further than that. Let's go back 2,000 years. Now read your Bible. Read the New Testament and you see if things were purer, less sin in the world. People were just better people. <laughs> no. That's not the way it was. That things were not more simple. Things were not more pure. Things were not less evil, less sinful. If we think like that, Solomon says here in verse 10, that kind of thinking does not come from wisdom. That's foolish thinking. So we shouldn't be thinking things like that. Verse 11, wisdom along with a good inheritance is good. And an advantage to those who, uh, who see the sun. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Verse 11 in some translations, some English translations, it seems odd. Uh, this, uh, I think, is New American Standard. Wisdom along with an inheritance is good. And you might read that and think, oh, if you have wisdom and you get an inheritance, that's, that's good. And I'm not going to argue with it. That's great. <laughs> you know, wisdom and an inheritance is good. But look at verse 12. For wisdom is protection just as money is. You see how it's comparing in verse 12, wisdom and money. And that's really how we should understand verse 11. Wisdom is good along with or in the same way, just like an inheritance is good. So wisdom is good and an inheritance is good. We see this comparison. This is better than that. But in verse 11, we have a different kind of a comparison, just like wisdom is good, uh, just like uh, an inheritance is good, wisdom is good, just like money is protection, wisdom is protection. Solomon here is not ignoring the value and the usefulness of money. 
If you think money is not useful or not valuable, just try to live a day without it. Now, some of you just thought of your favorite Bible verse, which says money is the root of all evil. I got to tell you, that's not the Bible. Money is the root of all evil is not in the scriptures. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is bad, but money is useful. We need it. And, and Solomon here recognizes that, that an inheritance is good, that money is protection. But he also said, because here's the deal, with money, sometimes we can get more and sometimes we have less. An inheritance is not something we have control over that we can say, I'm going to get an inheritance. But wisdom is something that we can seek, that we can pursue, that we can go after. Wisdom is good. Wisdom is a protection. It preserves the life of the possessor. So we should seek wisdom. It is valuable. Money can get you out of trouble, but wisdom can keep you from getting in trouble. Money can make life better, more tolerable, easier, but wisdom makes life better. Wisdom is good. And all this talk about wisdom, I think we see that wise and foolish comparison through these verses up to this point. And we expect now, we're going to close in, in verses 13 and 14 with Solomon saying, so wisdom is the ultimate thing. Wisdom is the best thing. Go and get out there and get wisdom. And that is not what he says. He says to us, wisdom is good. But then he points us away from wisdom. He has shown us foolishness. He has shown us wisdom. We're told of good things and then he's pointed to us better things. But now he shows us the best thing. Verse 13, consider the work of God. Consider the work of God. For who is able to straighten what he has bent? Boy, we look at this world and we see some bent stuff. And some of those bent things God has bent on purpose. He has bent for his will, for his purpose. And who can straighten it out? God is in charge. God is, God is sovereign. And he has talked before about the sovereignty of God. He's bringing it back up again. He's saying, if you want to talk about what's ultimate, wisdom is good. But the sovereignty of God and considering the work of God, that's ultimate. That's ultimate. God is sovereign over all. Under the sun, there are things which are good. There are other things which are better. But the best thing is to consider the work of God. And then in verse 14, to enjoy the good days, those days of prosperity, to enjoy them. Christians, we are not baptized in pickle juice. We are not to be sourpusses. We are to enjoy the good days. Now, they're only a vapor. They're only here for a quick, brief puff of smoke and they're gone. But when they're here, enjoy those good days and give thanks for them. But then there will be days that are not so good days. There will be hard days, difficult days. He calls them here days of adversity. And in those days, we need to remember that God made the good day and God made the hard day. He's made them all and they both come to us in our lives in God's sovereign will. He brought both good days and hard days to you. Christian, God loves you. And he gives you what you need. And you want only good days. <laughs> I 
Who are we to say, God, I only want the good stuff. God says, I know what you need. My mother who took me to the doctor and gave me that nasty medicine, she also gave me ice cream from time to time. But not all the time. Because she made me eat green beans too. This is more about my mother than she's gonna be comfortable with. We know that as parents, don't we? We know that our children need good, easy things, but we also know that sometimes they need a challenge. Sometimes they need something that, some adversity. They need something that will help them grow. And God knows that about us. And he brings the good days. And when he brings us a good day, let's enjoy that day and give him thanks for it. And when he brings us a hard day, dare we give him thanks for that? Dare we say, God, I know you are sovereign and you love me and you are giving me what I need. As we think of life and death, of birthday parties and of funerals, the song of mirth and laughter, as well as the correction and rebuke of a friend, let us remember in the end that God is sovereign over all. And that helps us in our search for meaning and purpose, for anything of profit and lasting value in this life under the sun. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that it brings to us. We pray that you would apply these things to our heart. God, where our hearts still, even, even after we have read and thought through some of these things, when our hearts still push back, when we still have a preference for the birthday party and for the, for the song of the fool, God, help us. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Give us grace to grow that we might love what you love, that we might hate what you hate, that we might look and walk and talk more like our Savior each day. We give you glory and praise for this in Christ's name.